I'm Amanda K. Weiss, a third-year rabbinical student at the Hebrew Union College Jewish Institute of Religion in New York. And I'm Gabe Snyder, third-year cantorial student at HUC. And we're so excited to welcome you to Drinking and Joshing, Torah with a Twist. You might be wondering, what are they talking about? What is this podcast? What's the point? Amanda, what are we talking about? What is this podcast? What's the point? Gabe, I'm so glad you asked. Gabe and I decided that we wanted to find a way to make Judaism a little more accessible, resonant, and relevant with people who are looking for a deeper connection to Judaism on their own time and in their own terms. We're really excited to kick things off with this first episode featuring Rabbi Michael Nemeth of the Religious Action Center. Recognizing that this historic election has increased tension in our midst, we thought it would be a great idea to talk with an organization who really believes that every voice, every vote matters in this election. With that, we're thrilled to bring in Rabbi Michael Nemeth of the Religious Action Center as we start our episode. Hi, everybody. We're so excited to welcome you to the first ever episode of Drinking and Drashing, Torah with a Twist. We were really excited to start with the Religious Action Center and reached out to Rabbi Michael Nemeth, who's the Director of Leadership Development. Through this role, he oversees all in-person as well as virtual trainings, as well as national campaigns, and has received his rabbinic ordination from Hebrew Union College Jewish Institute of Religion, HUCJR, which is a little close to our hearts. Why is that, Gabe? Because that's where we go to school. That is where we go to school. I would be remiss if I didn't say that there's a little bit of a family connection between me and Rabbi Michael Namath. My brother, Adam, spent some time interning and working with the Rock when he was younger, uh, perhaps I'll get to hear some embarrassing family stories, perhaps not. But we are so excited to welcome Rabbi Namath, especially for this podcast, because of the work that the Rock and Rabbi Michael Namath has been doing on the civic engagement campaign, working on the Every Voice, Every Vote campaign, aiming to reach 100% voter participation across the reform movement. As you know, the election is coming up soon, and we hope that everybody will go out, get out the vote. I know The Rock has done incredible work with that, and I also want to say hello to third-year rabbinical student Andrew Mandel, who we'll be speaking with a little bit later on this episode. Hello, Rabbi Namath. Hello. It is wonderful to be here to mix two incredible things together. Hello, Andrew Mandel. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. (laughs) I love it. Um, As always, Gabe and I are here to uh, entertain and educate, but we're really excited also to give a shout out to our favorite ever producer. Hello, Edan. Hello. Happy to be here. Okay. We're so excited to get started that Gabe wanted to share with you a quick rundown of what we're talking about today, which is Parshat Lech Lecha. So, Gabe, if I had no idea what was going on in the Torah because I have no time, because pandemic life, time doesn't really exist or matter, what should I be looking forward to in this week's portion? This week's Torah portion is Lech Lecha, which translates roughly to go forth. And unlike some other Torah portions, looking at you, Chaye Sarah, that name is actually pretty accurate to what happens in this Torah portion. There's a lot of going places. At the very beginning, God calls out to Abram, don't worry, he'll get renamed later, and tells him to leave his home where he was born, his father's home, everything he knows, to pick himself up and go to a land that he's going to be shown, and then he'll be blessed and everything will be happy. So Abram takes his wife Sarai and this other guy named Lot, and they go to Canaan, except they don't stay there very long because there's a famine. So then they have to go to Egypt, where some shenanigans happen involving lies. Then Abram and Lot separate, and Lot is taken captive, and Abram has to go and rescue him. Uh, And yeah, that works out fine. And then Abram and Sarai get really sad because they don't have any kids. And God tells Abram to look at the stars, and he says to him, look at the stars. If you can count them, that's how many descendants you're going to have. Still sad because it doesn't seem like they're going to have any kids anytime soon. Abram has a son with an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. They named this son Ishmael. He'll be important later. And then God establishes a covenant with Abram, renaming him Abraham, finally, and renaming Sarai, Sarah, and creating what we now know as the covenant, and establishes the sign of the covenant, which is circumcision. That was not even close to 30 seconds, but I hope I did a good job. Well, I would say if I had to rate you out of 10, 
about the number of stars there are in the sky. Aww. All right, Michael, we're so excited to learn more about what it is that you do with the RAC, what is going on with the civic engagement campaign. As we all know, it's really important for everyone to go out and vote. I'm curious, I'm, I'm ready to hear, and I think that Gabe has one of the first questions uh, for you. So I'm going to turn it over to Gabe. We want to zoom in on some of your work, and we want to ask you, um, if there's one thing that grounds or really drives your work, what is the thing, the idea, the belief that drives your work, your passion, your mission? The, the thing for me that drives my work is recognizing that we are part of this incredible tradition that is thousands of years old with texts and values that we study all the time. And then for me, the ultimate question becomes, yeah, we can study these values in these texts, but how do we connect them to our lives today? And that's my passion is making that connection. And when I look at our texts and values, what I see very clearly is justice at the center. Is justice at the center where we are all part of this community and we have a responsibility toward one another. And that's what grounds me and that's what keeps me going. Thank you. How does that connect to the work that you've been doing this year, especially with uh, you know, we've had a pandemic, we've had a lot of change coming in, things have been challenging from all directions. How is that impacting your drive and how is that impacting the work that's been getting done and the way that we connect to each other? You know, I think that our values remain the same. It's the delivery mechanism that changes. So we still have a value of, of how we look at one another and how we treat one another and how we want to see that play out in our world. But then we have to think about doing that in a different way because we're not physically gathering together. So we have to be creative. And, you know, that's what Jews have done for a long time is get creative. You know, you think back, we had the temple, right? Where there was sacrifice. There was no more temple. We had to refigure out Judaism and how we're going to live our Judaism. And so in many ways, that's what's happening now is a reimagining of how we gather together and how we do the sacred work of Judaism, of teaching, of acting, of doing it all together. It sounds like that's a really tricky balance between uh, moving forward and re constantly reimagining. And also, as you said in the beginning, your drive is to pull from our most ancient tradition. Uh, so I'm wondering if you can speak to how you might balance those to what, what some might consider conflicting ideals of uh, the oldest tradition and the oldest sacred text and sacred ideas, and also constantly moving forward uh, and you know the, progr the progress of history and the earth rotating rapidly around its axis. So I like to think that in many ways during this pandemic, we're not necessarily pivoting, we're sticking with what we know. So right at the beginning, we were about to launch a civic engagement campaign. And we've always done work with teens. And we've always looked for the ways to connect the two of them. So we said to ourselves over the summer, how do we continue that work and obviously deliver it differently, but continue with that foundation that we read in the Talmud that the community must be consulted when selecting its leaders. So how do we make sure that as many people as possible in this community of the United States are part of the process of selecting the leaders? And I don't just mean the president, I mean all of the leaders that are on the ballot because they all play a role and some even more significantly than we realize, but they all play a role in our lives. And so how do we do that? And for us, the answer was the Social Justice Academy which was an online opportunity for teens to come together with their congregations, with other teens, to ground ourselves in Jewish values and learning, but also to connect it to the election and to connect it to understanding and combating voter suppression and giving teens the tools not only of understanding and learning, but what are the action opportunities that they could take themselves in order to make sure that every voice is heard and everyone who is part of our community is being consulted as part of this upcoming election. So it seems to me that 
what you're talking about is something that requires a lot of trust. And I'm finding that these days, kind of similar to to Abraham's journey, he's going out, he doesn't know a lot. There's got to be a lot of trust through the process. How do we kind of work with that trust or even at this point, uh, so much mistrust in the environment going on, especially with this election, even on a local level? And, And what do we do with that? The most trusted messenger studies have shown are the people that you know. And so we're often thinking about, oh, I don't need to talk to my friends about voting. I'm sure that they vote. Oh, we don't need to talk about people in the Jewish community. Everyone who's Jewish votes. Well, that's not actually the case. Um, It is true that overwhelming majorities and very high numbers vote, but people also move. And right now, lots of people have moved. And so maybe they need to access an absentee ballot and they've never had to do that before. Maybe they need to update their voter registration and they've never done that before. There are still ways in which each of us can get involved and can think about this moving situation and this going into this unknown land, which in many ways is where we are right now, is we have gone from a place that we knew and some of it is entering into a space of trust that we have faith and trust that things are going to improve. Things are going to move forward. And at the same time, we, we have fear. And I think that fear is real. And I think whenever you go from a place that you know, be it Haran, which I've never been there, but maybe some of you have, um, and go to that promised land, wherever that promised land might be, there's always going to be fear involved of going into the unknown. I'm curious in terms of your drive, I know that you spoke about working with teens, that you've spoken about working uh, our connections and our networks, and that Lech Lecha might be like a place where that journey can begin. We talk about a journey of a million steps begins with a single step. And so I'm curious in terms of the work you're doing, you know, what other Jewish values kind of align with that drive? And how does Lech Lecha inspire you to to keep working on this civic engagement campaign, to keep working on voter suppression issues and relieving those nationwide, and to keep inspiring everybody to just truly keep on going, hoping for a better future? In this portion in particular, I, I see a lot of family and network and connection. So you have Abraham or beginning Avram and Sarai. I'm going to just stick with Abraham and Sarah. You have Lot, his nephew, and you have what the text calls their household. It's their community. And their community is deeply connected. And they go from Haran to the promised land, to Canaan. And in that space, they, of course, run into challenges. You know, every good story has to have that challenge that you're facing. Um, And of course, at one moment, Lot and Abraham do separate, but they come back because ultimately that that value of community, of support for one another, of connectedness is what helps us get through the really hard times. And I think that that is why things have been so challenging in this pandemic is because people want to be together. And unfortunately, right now, it's really hard to physically be together. But people really, really want to be together. Um, And so we're thinking of, I think all of us are thinking of creative ways to do that. Michael, I really appreciate that you brought up challenges, especially the challenges that, like, we've heard unprecedented times, unparalleled challenges, you know, issues that that never have been before. We were more divided than ever. And I'm curious, what do you think the biggest challenge is for us going into this election? And what is something we can do about it? There's, of course, the challenge of polarization, right? In that there are just such different ways that different communities and different political parties are looking at the world right now. And I think there is potential, although I'm hopeful that this is not the case, that the challenges will really occur on November 4th as election results are coming in. Before the election, one of the, for better or worse, there is a lot of energy behind this election and a tremendous number of people voting. 
So usually that is the biggest challenge, is getting people to see the importance of voting. I think right now people see that, and it's coming, unfortunately, from a hyper-partisan place too often. And I say that it's unfortunate because what does that mean for November 4th, November 5th, November 6th, and so on? Because that's a space where I really see the challenges, not just with deciding the election and announcing a winner, but after that even, and the governing that happens or doesn't happen after that. I remember uh, I remember the day after the 2016 election, uh, I was still in college and I had my first class of the day uh, was my Hebrew Bible class. Um, and uh, we walked into class and we sat down and the professor just started class, started talking about Isaiah. And uh, a student raised her hand and said, Professor, I don't, I don't want to interrupt you, um, but this election happened and it's kind of a big deal. You're really not going to say anything? You're really not going to do anything about, about that? Um, and he responded, and I, this, this memory is kind of, is really ingrained because I think it was such a powerful moment. He said really calmly um, and just naturally no matter what the result of the election was going to be, we were still going to have work to do. We just have more work to do now. Now let's get back to Isaiah. And then we did, and it was great. The reason I bring up that story is I hear you talking about November 3rd, November 4th, November 5th, and the future beyond this election. Um, so I'm, I'm curious about how you see the civic engagement program growing, uh, how you see it changing beyond the election, um, and how you see it uh, growing and changing, how you see that work that, you, that we'll still have to do regardless of the outcome of this election. Having had thousands of leaders join us in the work that we're doing as part of the civic engagement campaign, we know that there's an opportunity to continue working together after the election. And I think it's gonna take a number of conversations together to map that road from here to there, because we, we don't know exactly how we're gonna get there. We know that we have people who are now engaged and interested, and so the question becomes, how do we walk together to this next place? How do we go forth from, even though we're in an unknown, uncertain time, it's the time that we do know. We know what we know right now, and we're about to enter into another transition, another transition from going from a place that we know to an unknown place. It's, it's interesting that this happens to Abraham because the truth is so often in our own lives, in small and big ways, we as individuals are going out into this new land and new experiences, no matter how much some of us may try to prevent that, it still happens. And it happens also as this wider community, as a country, that there are these moments in time that mark a transition, a change, and that change is coming, um, where we're gonna be in a different place. Even if not all the players are changing, some of them are gonna change because we know some have retired, some have not won their primary. So we know that change is coming. We don't know how much change there's gonna be right now or how little change there's gonna be, but we know that change is happening. Uh, and so to navigate that change means having faith, uh, being together with your community for support, and just being on that journey of uh, a thousand steps, as Amanda said. As I listen to this, I'm so excited to hear about this idea of relationship building and, and being able to trust in our leaders and looking forward to a future. And I'm thinking also about the divisiveness that is going, you know, across the aisle. And so in our Parsha, right, like in Lech Lecha, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say that we're dealing with some untruths that are told, like some some maybe even lies, outright lies that might have been told, depending on who you ask, alternative facts even. Um, but I'm curious as to how we build those relationships across the aisle, how we bridge the divide 
when there's so much misinformation that's going out there between our leaders um, and when we reach out that sometimes we're rebuffed because we weren't honest in the first place maybe about our intentions on how to get there. There are a lot of people that are thinking about this and thinking about post-November 3rd in a variety of ways. There are, of course, the people that are thinking about decisions that are going to be announced and when they're announced. And then there are, are, are folks out there that are thinking about bringing religious communities together, either as their individual community or multiple communities, just in a moment of healing, um, in a moment of, of just being with one another. Uh, and I think that that's part of it is being with one another, listening to one another, and knowing that the goal can't be always to convince the other person. Because there are some things that some people just aren't going to agree on. Um, that's the best that we can do sometimes is just be there for one another and recognize that there's, you know, there's only so much that we're going to be able to do even as a trusted messenger because there are sources of information that some people trust that other people don't trust. And I think that that is something that I've certainly seen over my time in the, the DC area. I arrived in 2001 and, you know, you hear on the news, oh, the partisanship is worse. It, it, it really is, <laughs> unfortunately. The divide is really there. Uh, and I think it seeps outside of this space as well, which, uh, I don't have a good answer for right now of how we fix that. Um, I, th I think that we can be thinking about how to fix that. We can be aware of the challenges and hopefully that can lead us towards some solutions. I have a question. I want to bring us in a bit of a different direction, if that's okay. Um, when I, I think when the majority of Americans think about religion and politics um, and I want to preface this question by saying this isn't a partisan uh, podcast. The RAC is not a partisan organization. Um, when a lot of people think about politics and religion or religious organizations that deal in politics, the thought often goes to the religious right and evangelical Christianity and that stronghold on right-wing politics. And so I'm, I'm curious as to how you see yourself, how the RAC sees itself, how the civic engagement campaign sees itself uh, in relation to other religious movements um, that seek to in some way be involved in or disrupt the American political landscape. You know, I think it, it, a lot of it comes from how you perceive your role. So what we perceive our role as is saying, look, these are our values that we hold and they're part of the reason why we therefore believe these things should happen of how we can better our country. But these religious and faith-based and value-based and text-based reasons are not the only reason for doing our work. They are a strong foundation, but we also believe that it will benefit other people we also believe that it's part of good government. So I think that that's a major difference where we're not saying we have these religious beliefs, therefore everybody should have these same religious beliefs and we should legislate those religious beliefs. But rather for us, that's a foundation of why we do the work, of why we work toward making sure that there's equality uh, between people, why we make sure that those who have the least, who need the most help, are being supported. That's how, that's what's informing our work. Whereas I think too often on the other side, they say, well, my religious value is this, and everyone else should hold that same religious value, and we should legislate that into law. And that's a pretty significant difference. So I think the question that I have been hearing a lot from some of my past students, from some other people who are unsure or unwilling is like, why should I care? Like, I don't care about politics. I don't have a head for politics. Politics don't matter to me. They, they're not a part of my life. Um, why, why this attempt to get 100% of reformed Jewish voters? Why does that matter? I think it matters because 
we want to be part of our process and we want to make sure everyone's is part of a process of selecting leaders. If you were to name an elected official, I'm sure I, well, maybe I couldn't, but hopefully I could come up with how they have control or impact over an aspect of your life. So, you know, you think of a city council person or a county council person, the county council in my area controls billions of dollars. That's real power and has real impact on the community that I live in. Even though we think of that as such a down ballot issue that, oh, it doesn't really matter who's on the county council. Well, guess what? It really does matter who's on the county council. They're deciding massive budget numbers. They're deciding zoning issues. They're deciding around equality issues. I, I mean, there are so many things that people at all levels of government are able to influence and change that if we're not part of the process of selecting those leaders, then it means we're leaving it up to other people to be the ones who get to select those leaders who are going to have an impact on our life, whether we realize it or not. My dad always said that if you're not willing to show up to the table, you don't get to complain when things don't go the way that you want them to. Um, and so I'd like to... Uh, Say that I'm proud that within this podcast I have been able to give a shout out to my brother, to my father, and now I will, for sake of equality in the White's household, say hi mom. And also, in terms of the control and power, do you find that the Torah portion of Lech Lecha inspires some of the work that you do? And do you find that the work you do might influence the way that you read and understand Lech Lecha? I think that, yeah, that I'm certainly influenced by Lech Lecha by having this leader who in Abraham who is real, right? He is, as some commentators would suggest, slightly flawed. Uh, and yet he is leading this whole household of people and making choices and working with them in going, I, I mean, the, the text suggests that there is a rather large household and to get from Haran to Canaan is no small feat. And while I'm sure that he's leading the people, his household in some ways, there also has to be some shared leadership behind the scenes because you don't move a household of great wealth and livestock and people if you're not sharing some of the leadership. And even though it's not exactly there in the text, think as the great rabbis of old would put on their midrashic kippah, I put on my midrashic kippah, and I imagine what it would have taken to get from place to place. There's a, as, as you all said at the beginning of the podcast, there's a lot of movement going on, going physically from place to place. And if you've ever moved across town, across the country, to another state, to another country maybe, it's not easy to do. And it takes a lot of people. They have different roles. They have different ways that they do it. But you can't move from place to place without having that support and that network. Thank you. We're going to take a quick break. But before we do, Rabbi Namath, do you have a call to action? Uh, what are you hoping your listeners will do after uh, they finish this podcast? I hope that they will go to rac.org, R-A-C dot O-R-G slash C-E-C, that's Civic Engagement Campaign. And there you can find actions that you can still take in order to help get out the vote. And if you're interested in helping to protect the vote, there are opportunities there as well. Welcome back. We're really excited for this segment, which allows anyone to come and engage with our guests in person. We definitely believe in terms of hosting this podcast that it's not just about talking and listening, but it's about being able to speak and be in conversation and build relationships, just like Michael Namath discussed before. With that, I am so excited to welcome and introduce um, our classmate, third-year rabbinical student, Andrew Mandel, who also goes to HUC JR New York with us. Just a shout out to HUC all around from this first podcast. 
Andrew, you also have an incredible background of 18 years with Teach for America, influencing students from all over. How many students would you say that you have taught over the 18 years? Well, I taught 207th graders, and then I supported thousands and thousands of teachers in classrooms around the country. Amazing. So I would say that Andrew has influenced thousands of students uh, throughout his career, including the students in his own class now. Um, Andrew also has, in partnership with our incredible producer, Edan Waldman, co-created a now available iOS app called the Setec Box, which allows you to regularly check in with and engage with social justice opportunities. Andrew, we're so excited to connect you specifically with the Religious Action Center and with Rabbi Michael Namath. And with that, I am going to pass it to you for your questions and answer sessions. Rabbi Michael Namath, are you ready? I am ready. Andrew, over to you. Thanks so much. It's really, really great to be here, and I'm so delighted that you all are having this podcast. Uh, And Rabbi Namath, I'm really glad that we get to talk because we clearly are on the same wavelength when it comes to uh, putting Torah to action. And I have a few questions for you uh, to go deeper in some of the things you've already raised. So in Lech Lecha, Avram and Lot go their separate ways amicably. And I'm wondering, in such a politically fraught time, what do you think we can learn about disagreements from this week's Parsha? The one hopeful thing that I see is that while Lot and Abraham have this separation where they decide that they need to go their separate ways, they come back together. Right? If you take the long view of the story and not just the short segment, they come back together uh, because ultimately they do need each other. Because ultimately I believe that we do need to be in community with those who we live with. And so you know, I have this, maybe it's an unrealistic hope or dream that we come to realize that in fact we are one community, one country. And yes, we can disagree on how we get to the solutions that we want, but I'm hopeful that we can return to a place where we can be, where we can disagree, but not quite in the way that we're doing it right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. It, I, I also appreciated how you named the importance of civic engagement after the election. And you know, many people are fired up about this moment and I too really worry about many people being either in despair or returning to passivity after the inauguration. And yet, you know, neither of those responses are tenable or ultimately responsible. Lech Lecha, I think, introduces us to an immigrant who is used for her labor uh, and then driven away because of her employer's mistreatment. And I'm wondering if you could share who is on your mind when you think about the need for social change, um, who may need it just as much, if not more, um, in, in the coming months and years. I'm really thinking about communities of color and communities of color writ large, but in particular communities of color within our own Jewish community. Because I think for too long, they have been invisible in some ways and in other ways, just terribly mistreated. And in the stories that I hear of Jews of color experience within our community, it is just awful. And I think that this is a time where we really need to understand their experience better and our own role in changing that. Because we each have a way in which we can truly say, like, we are a wider Jewish community. And the ways that we thought Jewish community was, by how you looked, or your name, or that you went to summer camp, or all of those assumptions that we make about who is a Jew and who is not a Jew, they're just not true today. And so that's what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about Jews of color and people of color writ large and and in the wider community because we see what's happening to them in the news in in just everyday life and hearing and it's not acceptable and there needs to be change that happens 
Thank you for that because it, you know, I think it's very easy for us to look externally um, and point fingers and I just appreciate you also asking us to look in the mirror. Uh, my last question is, you know, were, it, were we not living in COVID uh, in particular, uh, young adulthood is the most opportune moment for, for some to lech lecha, to imagine what life might be like in the future. And uh, I had a meeting with some Jewish teens this weekend and I asked them what the issues affecting our world that keep them up at night. And one young man said to me that he's very worried about what happens when we run out of resources as a planet since he assumes that we have passed the point of being able to do anything meaningful about the environment. Uh, so he's worried about civil war and human degradation. And it was just, it was a real eye opener of a conversation for me because it made me consider whether my own generation is holding on perhaps to a false hope that we're still going to turn climate change around rather than preparing for what's next. Uh, so my question for you is actually, what are some of the insights that you've had with today's teens that have opened your eyes in some way? Yeah, it's interesting because in Lech Lecha, you know, you take the age of Abraham when he leaves Haran and it's like, I don't remember exactly, 75-ish. He's definitely got his social security card already. Well, no, what's interesting is that like, then you take like the age at which he died and then some of the modern commentators say, well, actually, he was probably, if you know, you sort of like make that into reality, um, he was probably in his 20s or early 20s or maybe even late teens. And so he is sort of of that age of when we think, at least traditionally, of people going forth and leaving their home and thinking of young people and what and the passion that they have and and how they deeply care about the issues that they care about it. And I think we've seen this before, right? In, in the, the 60s with the anti-war movement in the 70s as well. And I think that we're, we begin to see it again with uh, some of the, the, the gun rights work and the, the activists around uh, gun safety and in that area as well. And I think what, that the energy is there the excitement is there, the passion is there. And it's really helping young people to turn that passion and energy into action, to really understand how do they influence this system or how do they change the system, right? One option is to influence from the outside in, and the other option is, is to go inside the system and try and change the way the system itself works. And that's hard because I think, as you said, the people who have the power why do they want to let go? And I think that that has been the struggle of every movement is to say that the change needs to happen and to help make that change happen. It's not easy. It's very easy to say, oh, we should, you know, we should protect the environment. Well, who are the interests that are preventing that from happening? And how do we move those interests to either understand the seriousness or how do we find ways in which it is actually in their own self-interest to make the changes that need to happen to protect our planet, just as one example. That's not easy. They, it, they, they did not end the Vietnam War in one day. It was quite a struggle to make it happen. But I think when we look back on it, we see the incredibly important role that youth played in making that happen. So I believe it is possible, even if it's not easy. Thank you. And uh, I look forward both to uh, working with you more in the future. And uh, I want to invite folks to check out tzedekbox.org or to go to the uh, app store if you have an iPhone uh, to download the tzedekbox app, T-Z-E-D-E-K. Uh, and we're working on an Android version too soon. And we have rack opportunities on the, uh, the tzedekbox and we hope to have more. Uh, in the months to come, there's a lot of work to do. We come now to a segment called Midrashic Mixology. Uh, before we get started, Rabbi Namath, you have a particularly interesting Shabbat practice. Could, could you share that with us? Certainly. During the pandemic, spending a, a little bit more time on social media, I came across this fantastic, and I know this is not a product placement, uh, mixer for mixed drinks, 
where it has, you can't quite see it, but it has labels inside for how many ounces. So you can easily measure your mixed drink and then pour it in and then it's got this great uh, top that comes on and you can shake it and it doesn't get stuck like some of the old ones. And then it has, you know, the, the top that you, that you just pour it right out. So we decided to get this contraption and every Friday night we take a random number generator and we take out our mixing guide book printed in 1982. And whatever number comes up, we look on the page and we find a mixed drink. And that's the mixed drink that we make for that Shabbat. That's an incredible Shabbat tradition. I want to propose a slightly different tradition. Every week, we are going to have a different mixed drink, a different cocktail, a different uh, beverage of some kind uh, that will not only be delicious and will not only be a fun thing to do, maybe on Shabbat, um, but it will also relate to the weekly Torah portion. Midrash, um, as you may have been told in religious school, uh, as I have taught in religious school, is often defined as the stories that fill in the gaps in between the text. That's a fine definition, but what I want to add to it is that Midrash always pulls something out of the text and expands it. We're zooming in and taking and extracting an idea or several ideas and putting them into some greater narrative. So for this week, for Parashat Lech Lecha, in anticipation of the upcoming election and in celebration of Avraham Avinu, our father Abraham, and the founding fathers of the American experiment, we are thrilled to share with you the Four Fathers float. Take a pint glass, or a soda fountain style glass, or a beer stein, or whatever you want, you do you, and add a half ounce of your favorite coffee liqueur and two scoops of vanilla ice cream. I recommend Briars. They're not sponsoring us, and the brand has nothing to do with the Torah portion. It's just a classic. Slowly pour in a Sam Adams cream stout. You can optionally top with unsweetened whipped cream and grated dark chocolate. Garnish with a sparkler and as many star-shaped sprinkles as there are in the heavens, if you can count them. To make a non-alcoholic version, simply omit the coffee liqueur and switch out the Sam Adams stout for root beer. I recommend Dr. Brown's. Again, not a product placement, just a Jewish classic. Make a plan, vote, and l'chaim. That sounds like an incredibly American drink which is perfect for an election. When you're preparing for an election, what better way to prepare than this incredible float? And what better way to think about our portion than forefathers, be they American or Jewish, and stars that sparkle in the sky? Can you tell me more about some of the elements that you have in there? Absolutely. We start with the coffee liqueur, because sometimes you need to get up and go, lech lecha, and the ice cream, because it's yummy. We then put in the Sam Adams stout in celebration of Sam Adams and all of the other Adamses, and in celebration of my hometown of Boston, Massachusetts. Gabe, that drink sounds incredible. Just quick question, did you come up with that yourself? Nope. Had lots of help from lots of family members and friends. Thanks to all of them. Love it. Are all those friends registered to vote? I will check on that. I don't know. <laughs> I assume. <laughs> Do they have a voting plan? Since many people will be voting differently than they have in the past. You know, I think I'll text all of them and ask right now. Perfect. I love the Midrashic mixology. Gabe, incredible drink. Thank you to Gabe's family and friends and to, I guess, the great city of Boston, um, says this, you know, born and bred New Yorker. This has been an incredible episode. We've been able to have Rabbi Michael Nemeth, you know, rabbinical student Andrew Mandel, incredible producer Edon Waldman, awesome cantorial student Gabe Snyder, and, you know, perfectly adequate rabbinical student Amanda Weiss. That's me. Um, I just want to bring us to our close um, with kind of some thank yous and closing cues. Um, and so I have a question for Michael and for Gabe and for Idan. What is your lech lecha? What do you do that's for you slash for your own good? For me, 
I know I have a really good time hanging out with my brand new puppy, Takiya. She's four months old. Um, whenever I get to go out on a walk with her, that's like a fun thing that I get to do specifically for myself. Um, Idan, let's start with you. What's your lech lecha? What do you do for fun slash for your own good? For my own good. I take walks against my will with my wonderful partner and also Cantaro student at HUCJIR, Agnes Barrow. She's out all the time and I am always inside. So sometimes she forces me to go outside and that is very good for me, whether I like to agree to that in the moment. I'd say that's probably it. I really need to be spending more time outside with Agnes. I love it. Gabe, what is your lech lecha? What is the thing that you do that's just for you or for your own good? Um, I love listening to and playing music. It's one of the big reasons I am becoming a cantor is to express my Judaism and uh, connect people through a medium that means so much to me. Wonderful. Michael, what is your lech lecha? What do you do that's just for you for your own good? Pre-pandemic, I had a, a, a goal of making it to every national park site. So not just like the big parks, but the little ones too. There are close to 415 of them. And I was, you know, on vacations when we we're going somewhere, we sort of veer off the path a little bit to get there and or a vacation that specifically was to a park so, and do some hiking and being outdoors in particular, that was something that I loved. And so had to, to pivot a little. Uh, since all of them are closed right now, or most of them are closed right now. And so also just getting outside and finding the parks and the trails that are nearby and taking advantage of them, because there is a, a whole lot of indoor time right now. I love it. Spending time outdoors, indoors, working from decks or from basements. Um, we were thrilled to have you today. So Michael, if people want to continue the conversation with you, if they want to know more, if they want to vote or create a voting plan, how can they best find or follow you or take their first step on this journey? Really our website, rac.org has everything that you need. You can find me there. You can find opportunities around civic engagement or other opportunities to pursue justice. Uh, we invite you into that community to work with us to be a part of what we're doing and helping to shape a world filled with wholeness, justice, and peace. So I hope that you'll join us there. Thank you so much. Michael, any last words, thoughts, concerns, or jokes? Uh, thank you to the two of you. Uh, you know, it's a fun thing to take the Torah portion. Well, you know, as a rabbi, rabbinical student, it's a fun thing to take the Torah portion and connect it to something that maybe no one's ever really thought to connect it to before. I actually did do a Google search to see if I could find a book of mixed drinks and like the Bible. Uh, much of it was about not having mixed drinks and the Bible of what I found. Uh, so I think you're onto something really incredible here and I'm excited to be the first one that's a part of it because this is groundbreaking, truly groundbreaking of how we connect the Bible the Torah in particular for us, but really the Bible in general to uh, take out from it and connect it to this medium of mixed drinks. Truly a midrash, a modern midrash. Gabe, that was incredible. As you know, politics is not what I would call my forte, but I felt really inspired by what Michael and Andrew shared their thoughts, questions, what it means for everybody to take one small step on a journey of getting us to a place where we want to be, even if that means going into an unknown land. I think what was so interesting about both uh, Rabbi Namath and our guest Andrew Mandel was that neither were really talking about politics. Both were talking about engagement. Both were talking about being able to look outside and say, what can I do to make the world a better place? And with that, it seems like you don't have to be super Jewish or super involved or super political to make a difference. It seems like it could be as simple as talking to a friend, reaching out to your networks, or even just making a plan to vote. Absolutely. And if you want a little extra support, as Rabbi Michael Namath said, you can go to rack.org slash CEC. And as Andrew Mendel said, you can download the Tzedek Box app 
now available on the Apple App Store. Uh, thank you so much to Rabbi Michael Namath of Rock, Fame, and Glory. Um, it has been a pleasure to have you. Thank you to Andrew Mundell, third-year rabbinical student at HUCJR New York. Thank you to Idan Waldman, our incredible producer who we could not do this podcast without, literally. Um, and as always, hi, I'm Amanda. Bye, I'm Amanda. I'm so excited to be here. Gabe, last words? Thanks for coming. It's been cool. Thanks, everybody. Hope that you have a wonderful week. Um, Stay safe and don't forget, get out the vote. Go make a plan. Check in with your family. Your voice counts. Have a wonderful day, y'all. Bye. Bye.